Poseidon was the god of the ocean and of the sea. Athena was the goddess of knowledge. The two gods vote over the name the city is going to take. Athena fought with Poseidon. Athena won. So this is why the city was named after her. Athens took her name. Ancient Greek people believed that the gods were always there. They could interact with you, maybe being a stranger in the streets. So they built the Parthenon in an effort to, you know, win the gods and goddesses' gratitude. Vice. 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 Vice News present the unfiltered history tour. Colonialism as told through 10 objects. So my name is Petros Apostolakis and I'm a university student from Athens, Greece. I'm also a climate activist, a human rights activist, trying to fight for a better education, for a better society and a better world in general. So actually, the word Acropolis is not only used in the Parthenon and in Athens, it is used in temples around the country. It means the edge of the city. Acro means the edge, a polis is the city. To understand the importance of the Acropolis to the Athenian people, there is a limit on the floors that a building can have so they don't block the view from anywhere in the city to the Acropolis. Even today, as a teenager, you know, going up in the hills with my friends, staying there in the night, you can see the, the beauty of the Acropolis just from kilometers away. It is always here. <laughs> so it was actually built by the Athenians under the rule of Pericles. Construction began in 448 BC. It is a temple to honor the goddess Athena, the patron goddess of Athens. It was massive, it was a magnificent and very beautiful temple. It had a huge sculpture of the goddess Athena inside of it, which hasn't been found. Not only the sculptures, but also in the walls, there were sculptures and pieces of art where you could see the myths sculpted into the marble. One of them being a fight between ancient Greek people and the centaurs, the mythological creatures. One else is the birth of the goddess Athena from the head of Zeus. It wasn't only used as a temple, people were every day there, communicating with each other, interacting with each other. It was actually a center of, of the community. From the medieval ages until 1453, Greece was under the, the Byzantine Empire, which was actually the successor of the Roman Empire. So the Roman Empire was succeeded by the Byzantine Empire, which was taken over by the Ottoman Empire when Constantinople, the capital of the Byzantine Empire, was taken over in 1453. So they took every land that the Byzantine Empire had. Greece was under occupation for about 400 years. The occupation was, was strict and it was hard for the Greek people until the Greek 
people revolted in the Revolutionary War of Independence against the, the Ottoman Empire. We are now this year celebrating 200 years from the day that the revolution started. <laughs> Lord Elgin was appointed as the ambassador of England in the Ottoman Empire. He actually wanted to take some copies of the Parthenon marbles for his mansion back in Scotland. So he employed some sculptors and some artists for them to help him, you know, make copies of the artifacts. But when he came to Greece and he saw what was going on here, he saw that it would be very easy for him to, you know, take some of them back, take the pieces from the Parthenon and bring them back. It was actually an effort of him to get rich because he had a debt to the English government. And it was an effort not only to, you know, preserve the artifacts and preserve their beauty and help them actually survive the Ottomans. It was actually an effort to financial stability for him. So he asked for permission by the appointed government in Athens from the Ottoman Empire. It wasn't a democratically elected government that gave permission for the sculptures to be stolen. It was an empire, an occupation, which gave permission, which never really cared about the, the artifacts that much. The procedure to try to steal the artifacts and take them from Greece to England took about nine years and it started in 1801. In an effort which many poets have described as brutal, Edward Dodwell, a very important painter who was in Athens at that time, described it as something brutal, something vandalizing. Lord Byron was influenced much by this procedure. To test. No, Alaric and Elgin did the rest. Writing a lot of poets for Acropolis and the Parthenon. That all may learn from whence the plunderer came. The insulted wall sustains his hated name. For Elgin's fame, thus grateful Pallas pleads. Below his name. Above, behold his deeds. The first part of the marbles, he tried to ship them with a private boat from Greece to the UK, and the boat sank in Kifira, in the Mediterranean Sea. It's the irony, okay, that he was saying that he was trying to protect them, and actually his efforts were the exact opposite thing. He destroyed the artifacts, he sank them in the Aegean. He left some in Italy while going back to Britain. The next time he tried to bring some back. And actually some of the marbles that were left in Italy were given back in 2008 by the Italian Prime Minister. So Lord Elgin came back to England. He stored the artifacts in a cellar where they used to store coal. It was very, very harmful for, for the marbles. He wrote some letters to the British government trying to convince them to buy the artifacts. So it was discussed in the British Parliament. And even then, in the British Parliament, some of the members in the House of Commons believed that the marvels should return back to Greece. Even in the first moments, in the first years of this dispute, some of the members of the British Parliament believed and proposed that the marvels should come back. So the British government appointed a committee to investigate the legality of the marbles and whether they could purchase them from Elgin. The dispute was 
whether he would be able to take the marbles if he was a private citizen or whether he took them because of him being an ambassador. He used his power and his ambassadorship to influence the Turkish authorities to take them back. The committee decided to, you know, purchase the marbles and after many years they now belong to the board of trustees of the British Museum. Greece is a country which for so many years has faced many problems. The world wars, the civil war that we had after the two world wars, the dictatorship. So the efforts to, you know, repatronize the artifacts and the, the marbles in the modern era began in 1981 when Melina Mercuri was appointed Minister of Culture. We say to the British government, you have kept those sculptures for almost two centuries. By a newly elected government of, of Andreas Papandreou. She began the efforts to, you know, repatronize the marbles and bring them back. But now, in the name of fairness and morality, please give them back. The legality of the purchase from the British government by Lord Elgin is being questioned. I think that there have been some UNESCO declarations and I remember that the Committee of Ministers of Culture, when Melina Mercuri was the Greek Minister of Culture, voted for a resolution in support of the returning of the Parthenon marbles. And the Parthenon marbles they are. There are no such things as the Elgin marbles. But there is a talking point from the Greek side that we really do not try and we do not go on the legal way because it shouldn't be a legal matter at all. It should be a moral and ethical matter. They are our pride. They are our sacrifices. They are the essence of Greekness. We are asking only for something unique, something much less, something specific to our identity. I remember myself when I visited London in 2018, 15 years old, with my school of foreign languages in which I learned English. And I remember visiting the British Museum. We entered the room with the Parthenon marbles. It gave us goosebumps. It was a sad moment for everyone. Same something that has been stolen from you. Even the place in which the marbles were being kept was not the best preserved space the British Museum can do better for the artifacts. They would be better in the Acropolis Museum because there was a debate whether, you know, we didn't have a museum back then when we built one just for the artifacts to come. And th th they didn't. <laughs> I had a dispute, a conversational fight with one of the members of the group. He's a conservative and he said, they belong to us, they should come back. We're better than other people. While the ancient Greeks were building these, the other cultures had nothing, they lived in trees. That's something that right-wing people, conservative people, tried to use as a talking point. I had a fight with him and I told him, what are you talking about? This is not a matter of, of you know, the culture in Athens back then being better than anyone else. I believe, you know, in culture being international and culture being able for everyone to access and experience. I don't believe in, in better cultures, I believe in different cultures and the need and the importance of showcasing the beauty of any of them. 
I, I personally do not believe in the idea that we own the marbles, that the Greek people own the marbles. I believe that everyone should have access, that it is a part of our history, of our national heritage. Greek history owns the marbles and the center of Greek history is in Athens, is in Greece, so they should be here for every person that visits the city can see them. This podcast was produced by Jesse Lawson with research from Marta Vanderwolf. Voice acting from Simon Lawson and Nicoletta Giorgio and sounds from BP or Not BP. The Unfiltered History Tour is a Vice World News production.